pastor or a guest. We're so glad that you're here with us. Um, We are continuing in a series on identity. And before I jump into that, I'm just going to give you a a little heads up about our day today, um, because I think this would be instructive uh, for us as a church family. Um, The first service uh, was met with intense warfare from the enemy. Even as much as like having an entire worship team that was going to worship and lead in worship to not do it, like at 645 this morning, and changing, and technical stuff and all that stuff. And it's just, it reminded me again, you know, when we get together and we're singing, we're worshiping, we're, we're hearing the word, we're gathering together as family, I want you to understand, that is actually opposed by the enemy. He hates what we're doing. Did you know that? And, and sometimes we are, um, and I don't mean this in any negative way, because I do this. Sometimes we are casual in our approach towards worship and the word. And I want to tell you, the enemy is anything but casual against you and I for what we're doing. Uh, in the first service, I was so mad, I wanted to punch someone in the face. And I'm not talking about human beings. You know, the Bible says that we don't actually war against flesh and blood. But against spiritual forces, actually. So I want to encourage you. (laughs) Hopefully this is encouraging to you. When, When we come and when we gather, small groups, worship, looking at the word, gathering together as a church family, understand if you're casual, the enemy is not casual towards you. He is actively helping you to be blinded from the glory of Jesus. And when we sing songs like we just got done singing, and we read a text like we're about to read and walk through, the enemy hates it. What we've been doing today, the enemy hates it. So I just want to give everybody a heads up. It's not just worship, it's like war. And some of you are like, sheesh. This guy's intense. I'm not really, I'm actually like a really like normal person, but I hate, I hate the enemy and I really love Jesus and I hate it when I'm blinded from the glory of Jesus by the enemy because I'm casual in my approach towards worship. So I'm going to try to smile. And we, we, went, we went after the text this morning and I'm planning on going after it again today. So this is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 to 21. Again, I will not punch any human being in the face. I promise I will not do that, but I'm very agitated towards the enemy. So let me pray, and then we will go after the text. Father, I thank you. Thank you for your presence here with us. Thank you that you are a good father. And you have loved us from eternity past. You have loved us. And you created us, and even when we were enemies of yours, when we rebelled and sinned against you, you came and died for us, Jesus, to reconcile us to the Father. So we honor you. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you will come now. 
You are the Spirit of the Father and the Spirit of the Son poured out into our hearts and poured out into this place. I ask you, Holy Spirit, would you come now? I ask that you would remove blinders from our eyes and that you would unstop deaf ears, that we would see and hear the glorious Jesus. And I agree with my brother Paul in his prayer earlier. We command all work of the enemy to cease now in Jesus' name. Jesus, we honor your presence here with us. We honor you, Jesus. We tell you again that you are the king. Thank you for your peace and your stillness right now. We tell you, Jesus, that we yield to you. Our desire is to be with you, uh, to be in your presence. Our desire is to say the things you are saying, to do the things that you're doing, to be present with you, Jesus. Thank you that when you are here and present, every demonic force flees. So we thank you, Jesus. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Can you all tell when the manifest presence of Jesus enters into the room? It's different. And one of our priorities as a church family we've been pressing into is that we want to lead open-handed. And that means things like if you're praying before a message and you just, you know, you're just praying because you pray. And then we're going to close the prayer and get into the message. But, but when you start praying and then you can tell Jesus just walks in, it's like, okay, well, The king is here. So the jester should stop talking. And I mean that serious. I'm being serious. A lot of preaching is just a lot of jesters. Because the king wants to be here and be the focus of our attention. Does that make sense what I'm saying? So um, we are going to look at this text, but we're going to do this message differently. So, uh, there, are, there are identity statements in the text um, that the Father is wanting to target in every single person in this room. Because you're here, and the king just showed up, so he's got things to say to each individual one of us right here. So, we're going to walk through this text, and we're going to target some identity statements that are in the text, including the title of this sermon, which is Righteous ambassadors, which is to say that by grace through faith in Christ, every single one of us in Christ are righteous ambassadors. So we're going to look through the text, make some implications. We'll see what the Lord says. Does that sound good? (laughs) Okay, here we go. Uh, This is 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 to 21. I'm just going to walk through verse by verse 
Through this text, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and he writes this. He says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Someone say new creation. That is an identity marker about you right now, by grace through faith. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors. Somebody say ambassadors. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So we implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This passage literally changed my life. One of the most spectacular passages. Listen, the whole Bible is spectacular, let's be honest. This one is one of the most spectacular passages there is. Let's go verse by verse. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. So Paul says, listen, there is a, there is a way of regarding people. He says, from now on, I'm regarding no one according, the, according to the flesh. He says, from now on. Now, what is the now on? This is interactive, by the way. What's the now on? He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Anytime you see the word therefore, you just back up a couple verses because whatever he just talked about is the ground for what he's just said. Does that make sense? So the therefore, go back up to verse 14. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one, Jesus, has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So Paul says, listen, because of the atoning work of Jesus on the cross, because of what Christ has done on the cross, dying for all in their place as their substitute for their sin. By the way, your sin and my sin, Jesus died in our place as our substitute for our sin. Because of that and the resurrection of Jesus, because of that, when I look at people, I don't regard them in the flesh. Now, isn't that an interesting phrase? When he says, I don't regard people according to the flesh, he's talking about a worldly way that we look at people and define people. You know, like when you look at someone and you meet someone for the first time, what's one of the first things that you ask them? What's your name? And what do you, someone just said it, what do you do, right? You see, we have, we have very natural ways that we want to define somebody, put them in a box. Like, okay, that's the person's name. What's their gender? What's their hair color? What's their, what's their skin color? What do they do? Are they tall? Are they short? Are they skinny? Not so skinny, right? We do this. Are they political? Are they Republicans or Democrats, right? All these different ways that we define people. Paul says, I used to do that. 
But actually, because of the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus, I do that no more. I'm actually looking at people primarily, and he's not denying gender, uh, uh, all of these things. He's not denying any of those things. Those don't get washed out. But he's saying when I look at someone, I'm primarily looking at them with their orientation to the creator and redeemer, Jesus. Does that make sense? So when I look at them, the worldview, follow me, the worldview that I look at someone is not all the identity markers about them. That's not the main thing about them. The main thing about them is their relationship with the creator and redeemer of the universe, namely Jesus. Now, this is entirely relevant in our culture because our culture's worldview says that you are most important depending on the intersection of your identity markers. Is that correct? You know what I'm saying? Like we are primarily identified by the intersection of different identities. In the gospel, seeing Jesus, actually we don't do that to one another. We actually regard no one according to the flesh. We regard them according to Christ. Does that make sense? He also says, I used to regard Christ according to the flesh. And I regard him thus no longer. What's he talking about? Remember when he's on the way to Damascus persecuting the church, right? He doesn't know Jesus yet. When he thinks about Jesus, he's like, that must be a heretic. That's not a God follower. That's definitely not the Messiah. So I'm going to persecute in prison and kill anyone who follows him. That's what Paul was doing. He looked at him according to the flesh. And then he meets Jesus on the road. Remember? He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he goes, who, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus. The, the cross and resurrection of Jesus changed the way Paul looked at everyone around him, including Jesus. Does that make sense? What do you say? So it's important. When you see someone, the most important thing about the person in front of you is not gender, political affiliation, socioeconomics, job, relationships. The most important thing about that person is their orientation to the creator and redeemer of the universe. Let's keep going in the text. Verse 17, therefore, based off of what I've just said, <laughs> therefore, based off of this way of looking at the world, looking at people around me, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He's, this is how he can actually look at someone, and it's mainly identified by their relationship with God, not by all of these physical attributes about them. Why? Because in Christ, actually, we become new creations. By grace through faith, coming to faith in Christ, we're actually born again. The Spirit of God actually comes and recreates us into a new creation. I said this in the first service. When we are around brothers and sisters, we should be looking at each other and being like, dude, you're looking new today. <laughs> looking new. But oftentimes, especially in church, you know, church hurt. Oftentimes we look at people according to the hurts they have done to us. Oh, remember when she looked at me that way and gave me that side eye thing? I don't see them as a new creation in Christ. I actually see their old man, their old sin nature. Does that make sense what I'm saying? It's important that when we see each other, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we're actually not seeing the old man. The old man, the old sin nature is actually buried in the ground. It was actually in the tomb. <laughs> buried. And we, we want to like dig up those bones and put them back on people and hold them accountable for stuff that they did to us. Rather than seeing them as a new creation. All right, I got to keep going. 
Yeah, keep going. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Verse 18. All of this, all of this, all of this that I'm talking about is from God. All the prepositional phrases are amazing. From God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Verse 19. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. All these prepositions related to God. 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So we got a really big, important theological word that's been put here, and it is the word reconcile. Now, I'm not an accountant, but I know we have accountants, and they are reconciling stuff all the time. Right? Got this little, got this Excel document right there. I'm going to reconcile that with this thing right here. Now, in the kingdom, and by the way, I'm not making fun of that. It's just, it's not my area of expertise. But in relational category, I'm not talking about Excel documents. I'm talking about in relational categories, when God says he's reconciling the world to himself, that means this. God and humanity were created to be like this, right? And then we, as human, human beings, have actually rebelled against God, and we actually left God. We're over here. Reconciliation is the process by which humanity is restored back to God. God didn't go anywhere, right, did he? He didn't go anywhere. He's here. He's holy. He's righteous. He's just. Humanity, we have sinned against him, and we went over here. And this reconciliation thing is the process by which this over here, enemies of God, disobeying God, are returned back to God. And he says, all of this is from God. Did you see it? Verse 18, all of this is from God. I just want to encourage you. In our Christian walk, many times, people think so self-referently when it comes to their walk with Jesus. Like, my, the, I'm the most important thing about my walk with Jesus. My obedience, my understanding, my reading the Bible, my praying. You know what I'm saying? We're incredibly self-referent. But actually, the Christian walk is based more on God than it is about us. Do you see it in the text? I'm just, all of this is from God. Because sometimes we get into this weird thing where I think, well, if I read the Bible like 15 straight days and then memorize this scripture, somehow I am more reconciled to God than not. The reality is all of this is from God. You could read till you're blue in the face. It doesn't reconcile you more with God. Does that make sense? So we are so self-referent and individualistic But actually, the Bible says all of this, this gospel good news, this reconciliation is from God. And he is reconciling to himself the world. Now, what does that mean? How does he do that? Verse 19, by not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. He says, these trespasses and sins have dislocated us from God in his holy righteousness. We're over here. But he says the reconciliation process is God is just going to not count those trespasses. Does that sound right to you? What, what, that God's just like, you know what? It's fine. No big deal. No big deal. I'm just going to ignore it. A holy, righteous God does not do that. Actually, for trespasses to be dealt with, someone has to pay for the penalty of that trespass, Right? You, you can't, you, God doesn't just walk around and be like, oh, it's fine, no big deal. You just insulted my, my eternal grandeur. No big deal. No, no, actually, it's a big deal. But the Bible says that he counts our trespasses not against us. So what's the solution in God's mind? Actually, God himself comes. 
and actually pays the penalty for that trespass. God himself actually takes on our trespass. That's what the Bible says in verse 21. We're going to get to it here in a second. Jesus on the cross actually pays the penalty for our trespass. And by grace through faith in Christ, we are restored back to the Father. We are reconciled to him. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Again, we need to be careful about being so self-referent. And that's the trouble we get into. Religion says, okay, I'm out here. I've sinned. I need to obey, 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 obey. Then I'll be reconciled. That's what religion says. That's why it's tireless. I've got to read the Bible. I've got to memorize. I've got to give money to the poor. I've got to obey, 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 reconcile. But actually, the gospel says this. You're reconciled by grace through faith in Christ. Now obey. You obey as a reconciled one. Does that make sense? It's a complete opposite of religion. Religion says obey, 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 reconcile. Gospel says you're reconciled by grace through faith in Christ. Now, here's all the great things you get to do. You get to live like the one that you are, reconciled to God. Okay, there's more there, but we've got to keep going. And there's more. He entrusts to us this message of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled. So now he calls believers ambassadors for Christ. Now, let's pretend that we have an ambassador from the United Kingdom, and that ambassador, what does that ambassador do? Born in the UK, goes to ambassador school. I don't even know if that's a thing, but let's just say there's ambassador school, okay? What does the ambassador do? Travels to another country, and then is a what? Representative for the country they're from. Isn't that correct? So the ambassador from the UK, born in the UK, loves the UK, all about UK, all about sipping tea, doing all this stuff, all of that, says, I'm going to be an ambassador. I'm going to get trained. I'm going to intentionally move to another country. I'm going to move to another kingdom that has another ruling system, has an entire system of governance. I'm actually from here, UK. I'm moving to the US to be a representative for the UK. And now my main job is to tell everybody in the U.S., this is what the queen is like. She's awesome. She butters her bread just like this. We have a great time. She's amazing. You would love her. And you're communicating what your home country is like. Is that fair? He takes that same analogy and puts that on us as believers. That actually, we are not not actually from here. We're actually from the kingdom of God now. And we are living in a different land And we are representing the king himself. So much so, the Bible says that he is making his appeal through us. Which is to say, when the ambassador is speaking to uh, other ambassadors here in the U.S., he is speaking for the queen, isn't he? This is what the queen thinks. This is how the queen says that we should negotiate this particular situation. Same with us. We actually become representatives speaking for God. And what do we say? It's in the text. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The the content of our ambassadorship, if that's a word, is that we get to tell everybody else, hey, you're like this. Guess what? You don't have to obey so that he'll love you. Actually, you can be reconciled to God by grace through faith in Christ, and then you get to live this amazing life with him. And oh, by the way, it includes obeying him. 
We actually get to tell that story to everybody. And everybody should get to hear the truth that they can be reconciled to God. And it doesn't depend on their behavior and achievement. Actually, it has been achieved for them in Jesus. This is really good news. It's so good that the early church had to, they appropriated a word, euangelion. That word means too good to be true news. They like appropriate it and just said, this is what we're going to start calling it. It's called the gospel. It's like the best news ever. And we get to tell everybody the best news. You know those moments where like you've got some like little secret thing and you just can't wait to tell somebody, right? Like I can't, I can't wait to tell them. I can't wait to tell them the surprise. It's that, that kind of posture. I can't wait to tell these people. This is so amazing. Actually, they can actually experience peace, forgiveness, reconciliation, mercy, grace, all of this. And they don't have to obey a bunch. They actually get to be restored by grace through faith in Christ. That if he's their boss, reconciled. It's an amazing, amazing truth that we get to share in. So what are we saying? Verse 21. What do we tell people? Verse 21. For our sake, he, the Father, made him, which is Jesus the Son, to be sin. The Father made the Son to be sin. Who knew no sin? Jesus, God himself, second member of the Trinity, actually perfect, sinless, holy, righteous. No sin at all. He becomes sin. The sin of the world is actually put on Jesus as if he committed it. This perfect, spotless one, this righteous, holy God actually All of our sin and brokenness, all that pornographic, adulterous evil in our hearts. Jesus, it is credited to Jesus. All the mass murderous stuff is credited to Jesus. All the addictions are credited to Jesus. All of the rotten, horrible things that you have thought or said or done, and by the way, every single one of us is in the same boat, have thought, said, and done rotten things. Every one of them credited to Jesus as if he did them. Why? Why all of this? Why, why would the Father do this? Verse 21, the second half. So that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Actually, our sin is placed on Jesus. His perfect righteousness is placed on us. And we actually walk around as the righteousness of God by grace through faith. Not because we obeyed or did a single thing, but because we trusted that dude to take our sin and give us his righteousness. That's what we did. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? So let's talk about some implications and we're going to be finished. Some implications. Because of this truth that we are righteous ambassadors, we are new creations. The old man, old life has passed away. The new has come. Because of this, when the Father sees us in Christ, he sees us as his holiness and his righteousness. I want to ask you, do you believe the same thing the Father believes about you in Christ? It's one thing for Jamie to get up here and say it. 
It's another thing for you to wake up in the morning, to go through your day, and be conscious of the fact that by grace through faith in Christ, you are the righteousness of God. You are the holiness of God. You know, there's a, there's a weird thing that happens. I, I think it's part of sort of the North American Puritan group where we have so emphasized the sinfulness of our nature. And by the way, every one of us has sinned. I'm not denying that one bit. But we overstate the case on sin. Actually, the Bible says that the old man has passed away. Our sin nature has actually been, been taken away from us, killed off. Actually, we are righteous now. The problem, of course, is everyone, you should all be thinking this question, which is, well, Jamie, what about when I sin? <laughs> I mean, if, I, if I'm the righteousness of God, we got a problem. Like, I literally thought some stuff like 15 minutes ago. So, and in that moment, what's happening is um, those habits, the, this old nature that has been killed off, crucified, the old man that is dead, actually, uh, in those moments where it's almost like we're digging up old behaviors, an old man, and like trying to put it back on ourselves, instead of actually just walking as the righteousness of God. Does that make sense? <laughs> These are old habits, and they die hard. That's why the Bible says, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. So there is a dynamic here at play. So the implication is, do you see yourself this way? Second implication, when you mess up, I want to encourage everybody in the room, when you mess up and you confess your sin to Jesus, the Bible says you are immediately restored. The Bible says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Did he say half unrighteousness? or all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. That means on the righteousness of God, I step out of that identity. I begin to sin against the Lord, sin against my wife, against my kiddos, against my church. I begin to walk outside of the will of God. I am experiencing sin. I am walking in sin. In this moment, I confess sin. At confession, I am fully restored to the righteousness of God immediately. And the reason I press this, and some of you know this story, in college, I would, spend, I would sin against God, and then I would confess my sin, and then I would create some sort of system of penance where I would read the Bible and try to memorize Scripture and then like pray. I would do all of this crazy stuff because I didn't believe the Bible. I actually thought, if I confess my sin and then obey him for the next six hours, then I will be forgiven of my sin and cleansed from all unrighteousness. Are you all hearing me this morning? Actually, I'm betraying the fact that I don't understand the gospel and I don't believe the gospel. I believe the gospel is, yeah, he died on the cross, but I also got to do some stuff for him to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That is not the gospel. That is religion. So a major implication, we are the righteousness of God. When we step out of that and we sin, and that is exposed by the Holy Spirit, we confess our sin. Guess what? You are returned because it's based off of Jesus, not on you. So you are returned to the righteousness of God. It's amazing. This is what gospel living looks like. This is why we should be the most gracious, joyful, worshipful people, because actually we are the righteousness of God. When we mess up, we confess our sin, and we return to the righteousness of God. Oh. <laughs> Why? Because we're awesome? No, because Jesus is awesome. Third implication. 
as an ambassador, <laughs> as an ambassador, you represent Jesus to the people that you're around. And you may be the only Jesus that they see that day. Like, it's a real deal. Just like there's an ambassador that is regularly here in the U.S. promoting, declaring, speaking, influencing about the values of the U.K. We, everywhere we go, we get to actively promote the values and the King Jesus himself. I, I want to encourage you to regularly think about every room that you walk into. The kingdom of God has now come into this room because an ambassador of the creator of the universe just walked in and he or she is the righteousness of God based off of Jesus. So that means that room and those people are going to get some love from the Father. Because the Father's heart is for the people that are around us. Isn't that true? You walk into a space, the kingdom of God is coming. I want to encourage you in this way. I was a part of a church in Oklahoma, and I, I think this is, a, this is for us right now. I, I think this is um, for you all this week. Our culture is driven and plagued with anxiety and fear. The kingdom that we are a part of, we are not citizens of the U.S. primarily. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. And that kingdom is a place of peace. And it is a place of joy. And this is from the Lord for you. You all are going to walk into situations this week where you will walk into a room that is filled with the anxiety of the kingdom of this world. And I believe the Father wants to bring peace to that room and to those people through you. And by the way, you're like, but Jamie, I'm a really anxious person. Let me just remind you again, it has nothing to do with you like some people are like, well, I can't pray for healing because I'm sick. It's, it has nothing to do with you. This is what's important. That we All of this is from God. <laughs> so if you're anxious and you walk into a room of anxiety, guess what? You are the righteousness of God. You are an ambassador of the king, and the king is the prince of peace, and he's coming to that room to bring peace. And you can be anxious all you want. He's not all that bothered by your anxiety. He wants to move on those people. Are you all hearing me this morning? So this week, I'm telling you, you're going to walk into rooms, and I would encourage you to walk in the room. You don't have to say anything. I would be like, Jesus, in your mind, you can say it out loud if you want. Jesus, I said your kingdom would come now, and I'd like for you to bring peace, to bring your kingdom. I'm representing you here, and the kingdom of light is supposed to come right here, so I'm asking you to come. We, I was in Oklahoma. I was about to tell this story. I was in Oklahoma. We were um, <clears throat> a part of a church. We were regularly prayer walking the neighborhoods around our church. There was a park uh, just down the street from our church. That park was the, the hub for uh, the drug trafficking and human trafficking of um, that part of North Tulsa. So we would regularly prayer walk that park, like weekly. And on multiple occasions, multiple occasions, we'd find ourselves standing with a group of people just talking to them. And these folks were high as a kite. I mean, they, they didn't know who I was. They didn't know what was happening. Multiple occasions, I'm not joking, this isn't pastoral speak, multiple occasions, we would just be having conversations, not praying, not laying hands on anyone, not doing anything. I would watch as people would sober up, just being around us. Sober up. Go from glassy-eyed, 
slurred speech, all of a sudden clear-eyed, talking normally with us. And then what was great is when they would go, hey, uh, what's going on here? What's going on here? Because I, I, I am feeling something. I don't know what this is. I said, I think that's peace. I, I, and they're like, yeah, because they hadn't felt peace. They like, literally did not know what peace felt like. Actually, some of you in the room don't know what peace really feels like. The Father wants to bring it. They're like, what is this? I said, well, it's peace. It's also Jesus. Let me tell you about him. I'm telling you, this week, just watch. Just watch. You're going to walk into circumstances. You're going to be a group of people, a bunch of anxiety, a bunch of fear, a bunch of stuff. Right? You're, an amb- you're an ambassador for the king, and he's the prince of peace. Fourth implication, your primary citizenship is not the United States of America, but the kingdom of God. And by the way, I love this country. I love the freedom that we enjoy and the blessings that we enjoy. But I'm not primarily an American. I'm primarily a member of the kingdom of God. And that is a a clear implication of this identity statement. Fifth, don't compartmentalize, based off of this identity, don't compartmentalize evangelism as an activity that you do at church or with church people. So sharing the gospel is not something that I do when I'm around church people. Actually, sharing the gospel is a part of who I am everywhere I go as an ambassador. Does that make sense? So it's important that we don't compartmentalize. A lot of times it's like, well, well we're doing this church evangelism thing. I guess we're <laughs> going to better learn how to share the gospel real quick. Actually, it's not actually what you do. It is actually who you are. Should we practice and learn? Absolutely. I'm going to send some links to a tool called Three Circles. We've talked about it here. I'm going to send a link in the midweek email. That's for us to practice. So it's, it's a normal practice of talking about Jesus and brokenness and the gospel. Okay. Okay. I'm going to invite the band up. We'll do um, one last thing. I'm going to invite the band to come and be a part of us. Because uh, here's, here's the pressure point for all of us is uh, it's, it's all well and good to talk about sharing the gospel, being an ambassador. But the truth is, uh, many of us uh, are super nervous about that, don't want to do that, don't want to share the gospel with people, and it's kind of weird and awkward. And in my years of serving in ministry, it seems like there's three different ways that you can motivate someone to do something, especially something that they don't want to do. One, you could just pay them. Hey, man, you know, uh, you should be sharing the gospel. I'm going to pay you. I'm going to pay you to share the gospel. That's one way to motivate. Two, you could guilt them and shame them, which is a classic church technique. If you were a good Christian, you would share the gospel more. If you were a good Christian, you'd already gotten three people saved on your way up here. Has anybody ever heard that? I mean, I've been in churches that said that. If you're on an elevator with somebody, they better be saved by the time you get to the bottom floor. Or they're going real south. You know what I'm saying? They say this kind of stuff. That's unfair. I mean, they said it. but You can pay them. You can guilt and shame them. But the biblical motivation for doing anything, including sharing the gospel, is actually in this text. Look at verse 14. Biblical motivation for sharing the gospel is actually the overwhelming love of Christ shown to us that drives us to share this good news. For the love of Christ compels, controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. 
Listen, when the reason worship is cold, the reason my sharing of the gospel is cold, the reason I don't worship or the reason I don't share the gospel and I don't do these things is because in that moment, I really don't see Jesus in all of his glory dying on the cross for me and actually experiencing his love for me. Because if I experienced that love and saw him for who he is, I'd be like, this is awesome. Y'all should hear this. But I don't see him as glorious. I don't find him awesome. I find their opinion of me awesome and not him. So the biblical motivation is, Jesus, help me see you as awesome so that their opinion is not as awesome so I can tell them about you who are awesome. So you don't need to be guilted into anything. Nobody needs to pay you to share the gospel. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you such an overwhelming sense and vision for who Jesus is that it's spilling out on everybody. That he is the creator and redeemer of all things. And he has come to reconcile. Everybody you come into contact with, you know what? He wants to reconcile. So let's stand. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing. I'm going to invite prayer team folks to come up. You may need to be reconciled to Jesus today. I'm going to invite you to come and receive prayer. You may say, Jamie, I, I, uh, I, am, I am cold towards the Lord. I am cold about evangelism, sharing the gospel, being an ambassador. I need prayer. Come and receive prayer. You may be struggling with this concept of being righteous and walking in your identity as the righteousness of God. I encourage you to either come and receive prayer or just receive from the Lord right where you're at. Let me pray for you. Pray for us. And we're going to spend just a few moments Prayer teams, I invite you to come. Father, I bless these. I bless these that are listening to my voice. I ask Holy Spirit right now that you would come. That you would draw hearts to Jesus. That you would draw minds to Jesus. That you would help us to be gospel-focused, gospel-centered people. That all of this is from you, Abba through Christ, reconciling the world to yourself. We give you this time, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.